These are my personal opinions, but they are mixed with impersonal facts. Welcome to the Compass of Power. I'm Adam Wilson, and I like to put the place back into politics. Wanted to talk about a tweet from Lindsey Graham this week, but could not pass on a great study by the Pew Trust. So, I'll be back, Graham. The study that Pew put out uh, further something we discussed before in regards to Senator Raphael Warnock of Georgia, and that is that the future of liberalism in America depends on the South, and the bedrock of liberalism in the South is made up of black Democrats. It wasn't always that way. Uh, but before we jump ahead, let me offer my thesis statement for this episode, which is right now, today, times have never been better for the black middle class. And that golden age is centered in the former Confederacy. Black families are moving there to the South in big numbers where they are finding good jobs and presumably enjoying their lives. Uh, let me note right here that I am a white person who grew up in Idaho, so I am drawing from zero personal experience here. But I can draw conclusions from observable facts. And if you know anything about history or politics, you know that black America is central to both parts of America, the history and the politics. It doesn't matter uh, who you are or what your politics are or where you live. Black America is important to you because what affects black America affects you. It affects everybody in America, truly. Here on the Compass of Power, we say that if you want to understand where we are today in our politics, you just have to look at the map. What people think of as partisan warfare is actually the North fighting the South, as most of the major political conflicts in American history have been. As we all, hopefully, please God, are aware, the South has a difficult relationship with Black America. Enslaved Africans were imported to the American South just as they were throughout the Caribbean as plantation labor. This was not the case in the North. And things came to a head when the North and the South could not agree on what's going to happen in the West of the United States. Civil war, death untold, slavery outlawed. Now, black people made up the majority of the population in many parts of the South, especially the Deep South. And for a moment, they went straight to electing leaders and participating in democracy. There were black senators and black representatives. But... The white Southern elite, the planter class, was able to slowly reinstitute an apartheid system known as Jim Crow over the next two, gen two generations. In the Deep South, especially from, like, say, the 1890s to the 1960s, it was a long period, the force of law compelled black people to sit in separate sections of the movie theater and to go to separate schools, which were, just so we're all clear, uniformly inferior to the seats and schools offered to white people. Voting laws required you to pass tests which generally had the gist of, are you white? This was like bad wine paired with moldy, lethal, toxic cheese through a system of terror in which crimes against black people, including murder, were not prosecuted. In fact, they were sometimes encouraged by government officials. All of these facts are very well known to every good northerner to this day. They are literally taught in the public schools. In fact, my son, who is in high school on the left coast where I live, just joked the other day that uh, <clears throat> General Sherman burned Atlanta and nothing of value was lost. Ba-dum-bum. 
I, that's not from me. Seriously, he just came to that, <laughs> came home with that. If a northern white person like me wants to embody corruption, racism, or rank stupidity, they adopt a southern accent as part of the shtick. Gee, let's get some guns and demand concessions on spending in exchange for agreeing to raise the national debt limit. Or something like that. The point is, to those of us white folks raised in what you can think of as like the northern alliance, those bits of the country that make up uh, what constitutes liberal America, the idea that black people would want to move to the south to return to the scene of the crime is preposterous. Who would want to go down there? Who would do that? The answer is black middle-class people. Stateline, a news outlet connected with the, the Pew Charitable Trust, they just released an analysis of American community survey data. Uh, and apparently that was provided by the University of Minnesota. Uh, I'll put the link to the story in the show notes. The headline was, Migrating Professionals Grow Black Middle Class in South and West. It reports that in most states, the black middle class is continuing to grow. And in five states, the share of black families who are middle class is approaching parity with a white share. Those states are Georgia, Kentucky, Maryland, Texas, and California. And if you're playing at home, four of those five states are south of the Mason-Dixon line. Furthermore, Stateline released an interactive map with their report, which I'll post on my blog, showing the states where the black the share of black households in the middle class is approaching the white share. Again, the South is winning. Although Massachusetts and New Jersey look okay, uh, they're just keeping pace with South Carolina, Arkansas, and Florida. In Maryland, half of black families were in the middle class in 2021, the largest share of any state. Middle class, by the way, is here defined as two-thirds to twice the state's medium household income. Uh, and in Maryland, that's uh, between $69,000 and $207,000 a year. Here's a quote from the report. Many of the new black arrivals in the South are young and college-educated and are moving to take professional jobs in cities. In contrast, many of the white people in those states live in rural areas that are struggling economically, said Mary Patillo, Patillo uh, a professor of sociology and African-American studies at Northwestern University who studies the black middle class. So there's a lot to unpack there. First, the North has a stronger tradition of education. The Puritans believed every person needed to be able to read the Bible for themselves if they were to be saved from going to hell. In order to make sure their kids were literate, they established common schools. Puritan common schools became the basis for the American public school, which had to be forced on the South as part of Reconstruction. In the South, education was basically reserved for the elite, uh, and even when they had universal schooling, as we already mentioned, the schools open to black students were shortchanged. Uh... And to educate the Puritan ministers, remember the Puritans were uh, uh, founded uh, Massachusetts. Their real name was Congregationalists. Uh, but they need ministers. And in order to educate those ministers, uh, they established colleges. And those colleges, to this day, are the most elite and prestigious universities in the United States. They're the Ivy League. So... We should expect that young people raised in the North, especially cities in the North, would be comparatively better educated than rural Southerners. It's not a, not saying that they're naturally smarter. We're just saying that there's a culture of school going in the North, and we could expect that folks moving from the North to the South would probably be doing so with more uh, educational credentials. That white people in the rural South, and the South has always been more rural than the North, by the way, 
that they would either not be qualified for the new jobs in the cities or unwilling to move there is clearly a recipe for some trouble, right? Uh, But here's the thing. The South has a much longer experience with racial politics than the North. And that shows up in a lot of ways in our politics. I mean, even before the Civil War, Northerners visiting the South would be surprised by the blackness of Southern society. Okay, yes, they were horrified by the slavery. Some of them were, right? But they were also not used to being around a lot of black people. They were not used to seeing free men who were working as barbers or or black maids or or black nurses in white homes. Uh, and at the time in the North, you know, slavery was outlawed. It was, there was, was some slavery in the North, uh, you know, time of the revolution and that sort of thing. But there were never many slaves. The black population in the North was sparse. And uh, even if you look at the most recent study by Pew, the one we're talking about, just 30 states have black populations representing at least 5% of households. So there are 20 states where black households are less than 5% of the population. And that includes my home state, Washington, most of the dry West states, and they're not in the study because there's not enough data. But the South is home to centuries of black history, black music, black churches, black businesses, black colleges. Uh, I know a, a couple, a, a white man and a black lady who grew up in Washington state and they spent some time living in Texas. And what was interesting is that the husband told me that life in Texas was in some ways a little easier because when you see a Confederate flag outside a shop in the South, you know what you're getting. It has been advertised, but in the North, you can like walk into a coffee shop and get hit with some racist stuff that you had no idea was coming, uh, which is to say, at least from my understanding that there's something to be said for having your racial history out there in the open. Like, uh, given that there are jobs and there's a well-established black community throughout the South, I think you can see how young black professionals seen, see taking jobs in Houston or Atlanta as a, a interesting possibility, something you might want to do. Uh, now, you have to admit that, like, for a, a lot of white folks in the North, uh, Moving to the south would be crossing crossing a boundary your family's never crossed. There are literally genetic studies showing that the Mason-Dixon line was as strong as a mountain range in keeping populations separate. Uh, people from the north and the south just didn't mix it up, not in the sheets anyway. And uh, that has that separation has a big impact on how we view each other. Uh, However, for many uh, black people living in the North, going South would be returning to, uh, to where your family came from. You'd be going to an ancestral place. And frankly, these sorts of things usually just come down to jobs. Uh, we like to tell ourselves that people come to America for freedom, uh, but I think there's very strong evidence showing that having work for immigrants is a major draw. <laughs> you know, having something to do, make money. Uh, and, you know, both things, jobs and freedom, drew black and white people away from the South in the 20th century. We call the movement of uh, black Americans to places like Detroit and Chicago and New York the Great Migration, which is a little confusing because that's also the name for when the Puritans moved over from England, but whatever. Uh, there's also the Hillbilly Highway, which is the line of folks from Appalachia headed for manufacturing jobs in Michigan and elsewhere. Uh, they were coming for the industrialized jobs of the North. Um, and uh, I'm not going to go there, but there's some great descriptions of this in uh, Isabel Wilkinson's book, The uh, 
the warmth of other suns. Point is that those jobs that were drawing people from all over the South in the early to mid 20th century have been disappearing for decades. The Midwest especially has been losing its manufacturing and industrial base. Uh, I mean, where do they build cars in America today? Not so much Detroit as Tennessee, right? I mean, and where the jobs are, that's where the people go. One demographer in the Brookings Institution calls what we're seeing today a new great migration. He called it, quote, a virtual evacuation of many northern areas, end quote. Again, we're talking largely young, college-educated black people heading to Georgia, North Carolina, and Texas. Look, the Texas legislature is coming back into session in Austin, and the one big question is, maybe they should add exceptions for rape and incest to their abortion ban, or is that too lax? Maybe they should add provisions to go after companies that are trying to help their employees find abortion services out of state. And I'm not making that up. That's from the Dallas Morning News as an actual debate amongst Republicans in Texas. And if you were of a certain political stripe, you might say, no young woman in America is going to move to Texas now. I would move to South Dakota first. I'd live in Decatur. I'd go any place but there. Uh, but can you guess where the demography geniuses at U-Haul say people are going? Texas. The most popular one-way rental destination for U-Haul moving vans in 2022 was Texas. And now they have to figure out how to get all those vans back to California so mo more people can move out. See, that's a little joke there because California is very much the opposite of Texas on abortion issues, but its population is declining. Point is, jobs draw people, and the South has jobs. Now, however, I feel like I put myself in a position of locking down the, the main point here, which again has little to do with me as I don't have anything to do with this, but uh, what is my basis for saying now is the golden age for the black middle class? Well, I'll point you to another report from Pew, frankly. Uh, last year, Pew released a study looking at changes in the middle class from 1971 to 2021. Uh, and as you probably know, that was not a great date range for the middle class in America. We went from being a strong majority of 61% of the population being middle class to just half. 50% of all adults were in the middle class in 2021. Meanwhile, the upper and lower classes both grew. Um, and I, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. I guess it's okay that there's more people who are upper class, but we definitely don't want people, more people in the lower class, right? Don't we want everybody to be doing okay? Uh, the biggest gainers, the people who went up in income, got into that upper class were old folks. Uh, but number two, just behind old folks were black folks, the percentage of whom are upper income went up by 14 points. More importantly, I would say is that the middle class was shrinking as a share of all Americans over the past 50 years, except for black Americans. From the report, quote, black adults are the only major racial and ethnic group that did not experience a decrease in its middle class share, which stood at 47% in 2021, about the same as in 1971. So my basis for declaring that the golden age of the black middle class is right now in the South is, number one, black adults have either held their own in the middle class or moved up to the upper class over the past 50 years, unlike all other racial groups. Two, the share of black households who are middle class is increasing, and in a few states, nearing parity with white households, mostly in the South. Three, 
demographers broadly agree that large numbers of young, educated black people from the North are moving to the South to take new jobs, reversing the migration trends of the previous century. Ipso facto, there's never been so many, so well-off black American households anytime, anywhere, except today, in the South. <laughs> and that's something I think we should celebrate. I mean, honestly, every American should be proud of that kind of progress. Uh, please refer to my previous history of the South. So, woohoo! Um, but now it is time for the butt statements. Coming near to parity with white households in five states is a long way from being able to say that black households are just as well off and just as middle class as white folks. And white folks are not, no matter what the comparisons may imply, the top of the American economic ladder. It just means that the economic facts are that we have a great deal of variation between households of different races. And for the record, I want an America where your race has no bearing on your economic status. That's my goal. I don't think that the race you're born into should have any bearing or any predictive ability on what's going to happen to you economically. Furthermore, let's be clear that being in the middle class does not mean that a black family will have the same experience as any other middle class family when they move into the neighborhood. And uh, you can read the article that I'll post in there for some good thoughts on the different experience of middle class blacks. But I do want to bring it all home now for the compass of power. I argue that the root of American polarization is the tipping of power away from the North to the South. I say that for the most part, people adopt the politics of where they are. When people move to the South, their political views become more Southern, which is to say more conservative. And that is why a shift of population from one region to another means a shift in our politics. So why would I say that this growth in a black middle class in the South would be central to the future of liberalism? Doesn't this new migration mean more power for the Southern Republicans? I say not necessarily because there's a long established black political culture in the South that opposes those elites. Ever since uh, we eliminated slavery and allowed people the power to vote, suffrage, uh, people in the South have organized and competed with the planter elite, which was then the white elite, uh, for power, especially in the Deep South. And you can see that this uh, migration to the South today, at least the black migration, may not be adding to the Southern elite's power, right? It may be adding to the power of the underclass, the people who are vying for control. Let's go back to Senator Raphael Warnock, who was just reelected in Georgia. He comes from a long tradition of leadership through the black church in the South, and he won a tough race. He is proof of the growing economic and political power of the underclass in the South. That's why President Biden wants the Democratic presidential primaries to begin in South Carolina. If you want to win a national contest, you need to win over Southern voters and make things competitive there. But just today in South Carolina, State Senator Mia McLeod, she announced that she was leaving the Democratic Party. She didn't like the way that it treats black voters, especially black women candidates. She was in the 2022 primary for the governor's race, and among other complaints, she feels the party takes black votes for granted while it courts moderates. It's clear the Democrats cannot just simply expect black voters to help them out no matter who they run or what platform they run on, but South Carolina Democrats haven't won much. To win in Georgia, Warnock needed the support of the black community, yes, but he also needed whites and Hispanics and business leaders and others. 
Stacey Abrams was a strong black candidate for statewide office in Georgia, same time Warnock was, and she lost to the Republican. It's clear that some folks, folks voted for Republican Brian Kemp and Warnock. They split their votes. Democrats need more than race to win. They need more than liberal politics to win. And moreover, I think this is really important, race is not destiny. I think that this is a problem for Democrats. They've been convinced for a long time now that more people of certain races, including black people, automatically means more Democrats in the world. Plenty of black people in the modern South who see themselves as part of that culture and part of the elite have no problem being Republicans. Uh, Representative Brian uh, Byron Donalds of South Florida was mentioned as a candidate for Speaker of the House. He's black. He's a Republican. Warnock narrowly beat another black man, Herschel Walker, to win his election. Donald Trump's share of the black vote in 2020 was higher than his share in 2016. And he darn near won Georgia. He came close enough that he thought he could just get them to like fix the numbers for him. Uh, and we should all be grateful to Georgia's elite Republicans that they did not cave to Trump. Again, the locus of power in the United States is moving to the South. The bedrock of the opposition to conservative Southern elites comes from the liberal black underclass who have lived there forever. But to win, that bedrock of votes needs allies. And every Democrat, black or not, who moves from the Midwest to the South weakens the party in the North. You know, as always, national politics are very complex. But I, I, that's enough. I think we see where I've been going here. Whew, man, I thought this would be a quick tour based on that Pew story, but uh, we went deep again. Um, please read The Warmth of Other Sons. It's great if you want to know about uh, the Great Migration. <laughs> uh, didn't have enough time to talk about that. Please tell people to listen to this podcast or read the blog, Compass of Power. I'm Adam Wilson. This is the Compass of Power, and we'll see you next time.